that's been dragging you down and get up in the air. Just pretend that you can fly. You'll never know if you can till you try. Hi, and welcome to Cannabis Helps Dementia. I'm Chella. I'm Dave. And right up front, we'd like to say that we're not doctors or medical professionals, and nothing you hear in this podcast should be considered medical advice. Right. We're not experts, but throughout this podcast series, you'll hear from doctors, nurses, research scientists, administrators, other caregivers, and people living with dementia about how cannabis helps. Like it did for our family. That's right. After my mom was diagnosed with dementia, we were thrust into family caregiving and became fierce advocates for people living with dementia. Including their access to cannabis medicine. We first saw Dr. Bonnie Goldstein at CanMed 2018, speaking on treating pediatric conditions with medical cannabis. But she also treats seniors. Dr. Goldstein is a world-renowned doctor, educator, and cannabis specialist who has treated thousands of adults and children and seen their quality of life improve with cannabis medicine. Dr. Goldstein created Canna Centers Wellness, a medical practice devoted to educating and approving qualifying patients for cannabis treatment in Los Angeles. Their educational center offers classroom seminars and live webinars about all things cannabis. Dr. Goldstein's 2020 book, Cannabis is Medicine, explains the science of cannabis in easy to understand terms and shares some remarkable stories of some of her patients' experiences. Well, Dr. Goldstein, thank you so much for joining us today on Cannabis Helps Dementia podcast. Thank you for having me. Of course. Um, So in your book, Cannabis is Medicine, you break down the science so nicely for an average reader and provide so many relatable patient stories. You explain the endocannabinoid system with such clarity. Could you please start with the ECS and help listeners understand how and why cannabis helps ease symptoms of dementia? Wow. Okay. Loaded question. Um, There's a lot of information in all of that, but let's start with the basics. So I think one of the things that's most important for people to understand is, you know, look, the title of the book is Cannabis is Medicine. So then you have to prove why that's true. Why is it medicine? How is it that so many people are reporting benefits from it? Are they kooks or really is there something, is there, is this based in science? So you have to remember that when cannabis was made illegal, around the 1930s, 1940s, and even again, uh, when it was added to the Schedule One of the Controlled Substance Act in 1970, which all basically created all this propaganda stigma and then legally prohibited from use, right? Um, We didn't know the science. We didn't know why it helped uh, people, despite the fact that for thousands of years, people said, and even doctors said, prescribed cannabis back in the 1900, early 1900s, right? Um, and people said for, for thousands of years, this is medicine. It's a plant we take out of the ground before the pharmacy existed. We had plants, right, that mm-hmm. we used as medicine. Mm-hmm. So um, understand that um, much of this uh, interest in cannabis as medicine uh, comes from Dr. Mishulam and his group in Israel, who in 1964, was just curious about what made people intoxicated or impaired from the cannabis plant. Why was this such a reliable, you know, smoke a joint and certain behaviors occur? Um, and he broke down uh, the plants, individual compounds, which is really fascinating because in the early 1960s, we did not have a lot of good scientific tools to be able to do that, mm-hmm. but he did it nonetheless and was able to discover the compound THC, and he named it THC, 
um, that caused the intoxicating effects. He also had, um, and other uh, uh, scientists in the um, arena had found cannabinol CBN, they had found CBD, cannabidiol, but of course the interest, and it was the 1960s, was in THC, right, as this intoxicating compound. But then all this time goes by where not only is, you know, not a lot of research going on, but also then cannabis gets, as I mentioned, stuck into the schedule one uh, category and research really gets prohibited. But finally, 1988 scientists discover how THC works, like what does it do? So they were, and again, remember 1988, you have a lot better tools in the scientific world than you have in early 1960s. And basically what they discovered was that humans, as well as other creatures with backbones, have what's called a cannabinoid receptor. And that's really the key. So what is a receptor? Receptor is like a lock on a cell. So if you can imagine, you know, a little kind of globular uh, structure of a cell from, you know, biology in high school, on the cell wall, kind of sitting half in, across and half outside the cell wall is this little squiggly structure, protein, that exists as like a gateway to the cell. And a key has to come along and stick to the receptor like a key in a lock to tell the cell, change your message or do something different, you know, um, make this protein instead of that protein or stop making this protein instead of that protein or stop releasing neurotransmitters. It, it's basically instructions for the cell. Um, when they discovered the cannabinoid receptor, they discovered it using a synthetic THC, because again, you are not, not allowed to study the real stuff, but all receptors we have, so we have serotonin receptors, we have dopamine receptors. We have these receptors because we make our own compounds to bind to the receptor. Every receptor we have, we, our cells, our bodies, brains make the chemical, it's not taken from outside. So when we talk about a serotonin receptor, it's because we make serotonin. Our body releases this chemical when we need it, sometimes when we don't, sometimes not enough. But the idea is that we make these chemicals, often called ligands, that bind to the receptor, key in a lock. So when they discover that we have cannabinoid receptors in 1988, they realize wait a minute, we don't have this receptor for a synthetic THC or even the THC in the plant. We have it because we likely make a compound that binds to it. So then they went in search of, and a number of years later, I think it took them four years to find that we make our own inner cannabis-like compounds. Very exciting. We make our own inner cannabis compounds. Think about that. So they labeled those endocannabinoids. And then they went and tried to figure out why do we make endocannabinoids, right? So everybody knows we make insulin. Our, we have a pancreas, an organ that makes insulin. Insulin is made in response to us eating compounds or eating food that has sugar. Our sugar goes up in our bloodstream and insulin uh, gets um, uh, released mm -hmm. and tells the cells how to use sugar. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's an instruction for cells, right? Mm -hmm. So why do we make endocannabinoids? Any, the, way, the best way to think about it is any time there's any type of trigger that might tip us out of balance. So like an infection, inflammation, 
um, a traumatic insult, um, any type of illness that tips us, our body releases our endo, our bodies make endocannabinoids, release them, they bind to the receptor and they tell the cell, okay, don't over respond, don't kind of overdo or underdo, um, stay in balance. So it tells our cells, remember, in our brain and in our bodies as well, because these receptors are all over, Mm-hmm. Um, how to stay in balance. So that is kind of the concept of the endocannabinoid system. It's this underlying physiologic system you have that tells your cells, try to stay balanced. Don't get tipped over in one direction or another. So when you think about chronic illness, what is that? It's t- profound imbalance, right? I know people have suffered with chronic illness 20, 30 years, mm-hmm. right? Their endocannabinoid system was trying, probably cranking out, and it just can't overcome. So then when you take cannabis from an external source, right, obviously from the plant, when you take cannabinoids from an external source, I should mm-hmm. say, it's just augmenting that system. It's a kind of a simplified way to look at it, but it's the same idea as a di- type one diabetic who doesn't make insulin, having trouble with sugar, they take insulin from an external source and it helps balance. So I think that's kind of the best analogy to come up with. So if you take THC, CBD, other compounds from the plant, interacting with the endocannabinoid system, excuse me, to kind of tell the system or tell the body, okay, get back into balance, stop sending these imbalanced messages. When you go to dementia, when you talk about dementia, what is that, right? So dementia is kind of an umbrella term for lots of different processes and different conditions. But in general, what's happening is the brain is aging. There's inflammation, neuroinflammation. There's cell chaos, brain cell chaos, and then ultimately cell death. And so let's talk about Alzheimer's real quick. So with Alzheimer's studies show that um, what happens is you get these abnormal protein deposits inside as you guys know, right inside the brain cells, which causes a lot of inflammation, Uh, the cells go haywire, and then they start to die. And then you start to see the symptoms of um, dementia, right? So um, memory loss, uh, confusion, um, some people psychosis, um, difficulty with simple tasks, even right, Um, telling time. Um, lots of different symptoms that come with, with Alzheimer's and other types of dementia. How can the endocannabinoid system or how is it involved in this and how can it be used as a tool to treat dementia? And so again, there's articles and volumes written on this. So again, just to boil it down to kind of more simplistic view, um, when the brain becomes inflamed, you get these cells that come in that try to protect. Sometimes they overdo. Um, and there's this, again, real imbalance in the amount of inflammation and cell destruction. And what your endocannabinoid system as a target can do is to try to help balance, again, balance that inflammatory response and balance um, kind of the chemical damage that's going on. By interacting with that endocannabinoid system, you're basically telling the cells, stop sending the message of inflammation, right? We also know that there's a 
neurotransmitter called glutamate. And you guys have shaking your head. So I assume yeah. you've heard about glutamate, right? So mm -hmm. glutamate is a neurotransmitter you have in your brain that serves a purpose, mm -hmm. right? However, too much glutamate is not good for you. And we know that people who have seizures get a buildup of glutamate, creating cells that are more likely to have seizures and irritate. And they basically glutamate buildup is irritating to the brain. Mm -hmm. And we know that people who have neurodegenerative disorders also have some abnormal glutamate um, responses. And so cannabinoids from the plant, mm -hmm. again, THC, CBD, and so on, they all have different mechanisms. THC is the one that works specifically at the cannabinoid receptor to tell, like the key in the lock mechanism, to tell the cells, stop sending so much inflammation, stop sending out so much glutamate. Mm -hmm. Now, this has been shown in animals. Um, again, I can't go into your brain right. as, you know, when you're a living human being and look around and dig around in there and see what's going on. That would obviously not work. But we know from a multitude of animal studies that THC blocks the buildup of the proteins, the tank, what's called the, uh, the uh, tangles uh, and other proteins that build up in the brains of people who have Alzheimer's. So how do we know this? Well, they recreate Alzheimer's in animal model, and then you know, they sacrifice the animals and look at the brains. And this is pretty clear cut that this study, the, the, this research exists. Even the NIH is involved in this research, the mm -hmm. National Institutes of Health, which is a federal institution. Right. <laughs> um, and all over the world, um, looking at dementia, you know, there's studies going on where they've looked at mice, where they, you know, mice are old at around 18 months to two years of age. Mm -hmm. And they've looked at mice and have found that giving them an external source of cannabinoids that replace their endocannabinoids actually helps mice with memory. Mm. Uh, and remember, these are low doses. You don't have to take a lot of cannabis to do this or a lot of THC. Low doses reversed aging. They were able to recognize mice that they couldn't recognize before. Mm. They were able to do mazes more quickly, right? So there's, and this research, um, is so very important in that at least it gives us the beginnings of understanding what these cannabinoids can do for us. I think it's important to understand that we can't always relate mouse studies to human studies. Mm -hmm. um, but because we have this massive restriction still in the United States on research and look, in order to study dementia, you need years. Yeah, You may yeah. need a few decades, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Because sure. we have to figure out does this reverse? Okay, so I can get patients that have dementia now and see if I can reverse, but what about prevention? Yeah. How long, in a, how, what kind of lag time do you have to start cannabis to see, right? So, and then how much do you have to take? Which kind of cannabis? Do you smoke it? Do you vape it? Do you eat it in a brownie? Do you take right. the capsule? There's so many questions. Yeah. So unfortunately, it's very hard to answer these questions for humans that are struggling right now with Alzheimer's. But again, with the current laws that we have, we're allowed to treat patients, right? And of course, yeah. in many states, there's adult use where people are reaching out even without medical supervision to use cannabis. But without really being able to do the research, all of this has to be mitigated by, you know, or has to be kind of a little asterisk that says, there's still a lot of unanswered questions. Absolutely. Well, I, I was going to say that, um, you know, we certainly can't really study the pathology of the disease, if it's reversing it, if it's doing that, 
um, through research, but the anecdotal evidence on the ground, you certainly see the behavioral um, aspects of manifestation of the disease is definitely uh, benefited by cannabis use. You can see that and we see that happening every day. Is, are there any patients in your, I mean, you, I know you primarily teach, uh, treat children. That was your claim, your claim to fame, obviously, but you treat everyone. Um, are there any uh, dementia patients uh, that you can think of that you treat sure. that uh, have seen, uh, you know, benefit from cannabis? Oh yeah, sure. No question. So and one thing I just want to tack on to that whole long um, answer to your previous question is that because cannabis is so safe, that's why doctors like myself who are very conservative and take do no harm very seriously and do try to live in the world of evidence-based, but again, you're missing a lot of research and there's a lot of people suffering. The one thing I'll challenge anybody to do is read, go into the scientific literature and just read any study that does report on human use right? That is not designed to look at the damages, but just kind of look at, you know, X amount of Parkinson's patients who used it or from Israel, um, 60 children with autism, a study came out a couple of years ago right. where they gave, you know, CBD and THC to the children. Mm -hmm. My point being that if you read these studies and only focus on side effects, what you will find is almost every study says treatment was well tolerated. Treatment was well tolerated. <laughs> mild to moderate side effects, all reversible. Right. So one thing I always put out there is that if you're afraid to try this because you ha have been, unfortunately, you know, there's been successful brainwashing and that's what it is. People, it, it, we have all been brainwashed to think mm -hmm. that we are bad. If we use cannabis, there's, we're drug addicts. There's something wrong with us. When we're actually like, feeding a uh, systemic endocannabinoid deficiency. <laughs> and even causing... if you're not, my goodness, yeah. harm reduction. Think about if you really need to have, a, you know, substances in your life. Let's And uh, look, if you need that to just yeah. get through the day, <laughs> of all of them, the least harmful, most medicinal is cannabis. My goodness. Now, you might not be using it the right way. I do right. see that. And yep. I see that a lot in the teenagers I take care of. They think that they're using it right, but they actually really, it, it would. And I liken that to giving somebody the keys to the local pharmacy and saying, oh, I've diagnosed you with pneumonia. Go, go pick out your medicine. <laughs> I wouldn't expect a patient to self-medicate for any condition, certainly not a teenager. So mm -hmm. like, let's just lay that out there. Just because some teenager makes a claim that it's medicine for them does not negate the fact that it's medicine. Okay. Even if they don't really know what they're doing. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, but going back to a story for a patient. So I have a couple of patients. So there's one patient I wrote about in my book and um, we used a different name to, to um, keep privacy private. Uh, her, her, uh, uh, and so in the book, she's Mary. Um, her husband had reached out to me early onset dementia. She was really struggling. She had even been on so many medications and they were even when they were doing a medication switch, they deemed it so difficult that they put her in the hospital just to wean her down on one medicine and get her started on another because uh, it was her behaviors were unpredictable. And it just, um, you know, the chance of something going south was pretty, pretty uh, high for this particular patient. And after one month of being in the hospital, you know, he said, she's, she's dying in front of my eyes. 
um, her decline is so rapid. And we've heard about cannabis. We have no idea what we're doing. Our primary care doctors on board, the neurologist is kind of like throwing their hands up and said, go right ahead because I don't have much else to offer after four years of, and all hardcore drugs. I mean, you know, antipsychotics and, and all, all, you know, um, difficult drugs. And remember when we treat patients with dementia, we have, you can do studies, you can do an MRI, you can look, you know, functional MRI, you can look at the brain, but you really don't know what's going on on the cellular level because you're again, not allowed to go into the brain and, and start digging around. And so a lot of kind of, we, we look at behaviors that people have, or they're agitated or whatever. And we try to sort out where's this coming from and what drug might treat it. Right. And again, a lot of um, neurologists who are prescribing medication are targeting specific um, neurotransmitters, right? Dopamine, right. you know, serotonin and so on. Um, but mm-hmm. remember, people don't always respond the way that, quote, they're supposed to. Just because right. this drug has claims to do something doesn't mean that that's the way your brain's going to respond. It's very complex to work with people's brains, of course. Mm-hmm. So Mary, um, we started her I believe, and I may, um, I apologize if I get the exact regimen because I deal with a lot of patients, but I think we started (laughs) CBD first and it agitated her Mm. and that can happen. And we tried, and it's very important to understand low doses can for CBD can be alerting and stimulating. CBD is an alerting, stimulating compound in low doses. Medium doses, you may not see that. And then higher doses, it tends to be more calming and sedating. And remember, we're all at different levels where our brain is. So let's say like a child with autism is already really super hyper and overstimulated and their brain is going, you know, like I call them Ferrari, you know, the Ferrari flying down the freeway with no brakes. Mm-hmm. Um, what something it might be sedating for me it might just be calming for them. So again, it's not... You know, in general, we can say alerting and then sedating and alerting in low doses and sedating in higher doses. People say, well, what's a high dose? Well, it depends Mm -hmm. on you. It depends Depends, on what's a high dose for you. How much do you absorb? How much do you metabolize? How does your body respond specifically? What's your endocannabinoid tone? What's your other, what's going on in the rest of your brain? So, but she started with that CBD and it really didn't seem to help. And then, um, I had been at the time doing a lot of research on THCA, which is tetrahydrocannabinolic acid, which mm-hmm. is the precursor mm-hmm. raw compound to THC. So anybody listening who doesn't know what THCA is, remember the flower, the female flower of the plant is where we get all these compounds. And if you harvest the plant and have raw, if you got that tested, it most of all the cannabinoids in the flower would be in what we call the, the raw form, um, uh, the carboxylated form, the AA acid form. So we refer to it in numerous uh, different ways, but basically there's not very much THC in the, in the raw flower. That's why people aren't using raw flour to get high or to get stoned you have to heat it up. So like, what did our ancestors do that we, I guess they figured out when you light it on fire and inhale it, right. It has other properties. Yeah. Happy, uh, right? happy accident. Happy. Yeah. Happy accident. <laughs> exactly. And, um, so 
you know, even growing up, like the first time I really ever heard about cannabis, I remember a friend of mine's brother got in trouble for smoking pot. So it kind of like socially you hear baking it in a brownie, right? Smoking it. The heating process converts THCA to THC. So Mm -hmm. the heat cleaves off a carbon and a couple oxygens and it turns into THC. So the plant itself, the flower, there may be a small amount of THC just from heat and light and, Mm. and, you know, being exposed to the air, but in general, you have to heat it up to a high temperature to convert it. So they're now on the market products that are made with raw cannabinoids where they're not heated in their process. And you can get a bottle of THCA. It's basically when I call it olive oil. I mean, you know, it's <laughs> basically a raw female flower in a bottle, right. Yeah. In a liquid. And we started her on that and she had real profound uh, improvement in her mood, wow. in her sleep. Um, With just the acid form. Sorry, just not, the acid form. No and it was imp- kind of amazing. Now, remember wow. in that bottle, there's all the other compounds. Everything else. Why we sure. all talk about whole plant, full spectrum. We use these, this terminology. It's yep. not isolated THCA. That would be a great study. I would love to see what isolated THCA could do for epilepsy and autism and dementia, because Mm -hmm. I use it successfully in many patients who have these conditions, but is it something else in the bottle? Is it the terpenes? Is it the teeny tiny bit of THC that's in there? Mm. Potentially super low dose, right? Is it potentially the other cannabinoids that are in there or flavonoids (laughs) or something we don't even have identified yet? right? Right. So it's very hard to know, but you know, when I say THCA, I use, you know, I'm usually, I'm always referring to whole plant, full spectrum, you know, reliable product that's been tested. I know what's in the bottle. And so this made a big difference for her. And even to the point where um, she was basically catatonic. I mean, she just sat Mm. and she, if you messed with her, she'd argue with you and she had full-time care Mm -hmm. 24 seven. Yeah. Uh, people in the house helping out uh, with all activities of daily living. So feeding herself, mm-hmm. bathing, getting dressed, getting undressed to go to getting in and out of bed, taking a walk, all of these things kind of just, you know, that she didn't do anything. She, she didn't even look at me when I came, when I did my evaluation, she closed mm-hmm. her eyes and just looked away and there was mm-hmm. zero. And if I tried to, you know, touch her arm, she pulled away. It was, mm-hmm. it was extremely difficult to connect with, of course, because, you know, she was just agitated and not interested and didn't even open her eyes. I said, can't you open your eyes for me? So I can just, you know, see your beautiful eyes. And she did not, she turned her head and closed her eyes. Mm -hmm. Um, So THCA changed a lot of that. And all the reports I got back, and by the way, it was three times a day, Mm -hmm. start low and go slow as people, as you know, kind of, I don't know who came up with that, but it was, it's great motto. Yeah. You know, one milligram, three times a day, two milligrams, three times a day. And we titrated up very slowly to try to find her sweet spot. And mm-hmm. little by little, I'm getting reports. She's happier. She stopped talking completely, I think years prior. And yeah. she used to sing a lot. She started singing again. Mm. Nice. She was able to sit at the table and eat. Yeah. She was started to feed herself. She was participating in the getting dressed, getting undressed, bathing. So a a lot of improvement huge, and huge. And 
Now for the moments of agitation here and there, what we did was we added in THC on an as needed basis. Mm -hmm. And so um, again, starting low dose, one milligram, just as needed, two milligrams as needed. It's Mm -hmm. interesting with her in that, depending on the caregiver who was there with her, there was different amounts of THC being used. And I think for, you know, some caregivers are a little more patient than others and don't run to the THC right away. And others were using it a little bit more. Mm -hmm. We did end up after a period of time having to do a THC reset, which Mm -hmm. is when you build tolerance right? and the higher, higher doses. So if you know, doses are escalating, but also they're just not working as well. Mm -hmm. Easy. You take a couple of days, a week off and do a reset. And what, and it's important to understand what tolerance is about. Remember I explained the receptors sit kind of half inside, half outside the cell across the cell wall. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you inundate cannabinoid receptors with a lot of THC, just regular basis, you don't have to be, you know, overdoing low doses. And also when there's CBD in the mix, doesn't seem to cause tolerance, but if it's just THC Mm -hmm. without CBD in the mix, it seems that um, kind of constant triggering of the receptor, the body or receptors kind of go into, okay, that's enough. Mm-hmm. I'm good. I'm going to hide inside the cell for a while and reset. Mm-hmm. So what happens is they actually pull away from the cell wall mm-hmm. and hide inside the cell. Mm-hmm. And it's almost, almost like insulin resistance. You, you're bombarding yeah. it so yeah, much. Not, that the cell not just working says, well. Yeah. Right. No, thank you. Right. Yeah. So what happens then is if you abstain, you know, for lack of a better way to explain it, it's kind of like they get the all clear right. <laughs> and it doesn't come and they pop back out. This is a beautiful um, system when you think about that is that yeah. you can regulate it. And this is why often we say if you're using THC on a regular basis, you should take tolerance breaks, you know, take a cannabis holiday, as they call it. Mm-hmm. I-, I tell people one day a week is plenty to kind of main as long as you're not you know, doing very high potency cannabis all day long mm-hmm. um, or one week out of a, a per quarter. So like three or four times a year, take some time off. Not everybody needs it. Low, low intermittent use often doesn't, you don't develop tolerance. And also if you include CBD in your regimen, mm-hmm. and then some people find that switching up the different chemovars or the word strains, right. Uh, switching out the different, like if they're using edibles, maybe they switch to a different kind or a different strain or a different method. They'll use tinctures. They find that sometimes just switching out. Um, and, and, and that can help too. Well, you're receiving this, a different yeah. balance of, uh, of exactly. chemicals in there too. Yeah, it's exactly right. And probably the terpenes and the other cannabinoids, the cannabinoid profile, terpene profile plays a different, makes a difference there. Mm. But it's interesting for her. She's been now maintained on this for numerous years. Mm. Um, We did try CBG because I have had uh, some reports of people doing better with CBG, but she also got agitated on that. And CBG Mm. can be stimulating for some people, not Mm. everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, let's see. So we, and uh, I don't, I can't remember if we've tried CBDA, which is the raw form of CBD. Mm-hmm. Um, I am using CBDA a lot in uh, children now. There's mm-hmm. a study came out this year that shows it's anti-convulsant again in animals. So it would be mm-hmm. nice to have a study in, but it was comparable to CBD for its anti-convulsant. And we know that CBDA is a very potent anti-inflammatory. Mm-hmm. Remember inflammation is a lot of part of this. Yeah. 
And the acid forms, the acid forms are, are showing in, in, in research that we've seen that to be more effective in CBDA is, you know, 10 to 12 times more powerful than CBD in some well, research I saw. Right. And that's, and that's some of the reporting. And, and so there was a study that looked at CBD versus CBDA for, for um, nausea. And it, mm. we found that CBDA in much lower doses. One of the things to understand is that CBD and THC are what we call lipophilic. They're fat loving. Mm-hmm. And as much as, you know, we think that every ounce of fat that we eat, we absorb all of it. We don't. Mm-hmm. And cannabinoids through the oral route are very difficult, especially CBD and THC, I should say, when they're heated up, very difficult to absorb. So for many people who are not inhaling, which is a little more efficient, you can get a little more in your body through inhalation. But when you take a dose of CBD, you are not, let's say you take 50 milligrams, you're not getting 50 milligrams into your system, right? The, right? the absorptions are out, you know, somewhere between four and 20%. It'd be nice to be able to mm-hmm. do more studies on this to see exactly how much is being absorbed because some of these studies are old, but it turns out that the acid forms, THCA and CBD, a little more water soluble mm. and less lipophilic and more absorbed. So that may account for why lower doses work better. That makes total that sense. Makes total sense. Right. Yeah. And also I think a little less expensive if you can take a lower dose. So you sure. have to take um, high doses. It's interesting um, to think about dosing in general, like why I have patients who can tolerate 600 milligrams of CBD a day. Mm. I have a patient taking 1500 milligrams of CBD a day for a seizure disorder, in addition to some other cannabinoids. Mm. And I have to tell you that if I took that, Mm. I would be sleeping all day, every day, and I would not be able to function. So one of the things I feel it's really important to understand is that you're, you are a unique individual in that your DNA codes, your endocannabinoid system, there can be variants within your DNA. There can be variants in the, in there can be, there are Mm -hmm. variants in the way you absorb and metabolize these compounds. Mm -hmm. So for a lot of people listening, I always say, don't get discouraged if your friend who's taking 20 milligrams of CBD is getting great, you know, sleep and mood um, enhancement and anxieties down. It's the best thing ever. Mm-hmm. And you take 20 milligrams, say, well, it didn't do anything for me. Right. There is a very wide therapeutic range for most of these compounds. I mean, THC has a pretty narrow range, but all the other cannabinoids have a very wide range and you cannot rule them out as a medicine for you unless you test them out in low doses, medium doses, and high doses. Mm -hmm. And so we have this saying, start low and go slow. And my friend, Dr. Dustin Sulak says, start low, go slow, but don't be afraid to go all the way. And I love that because again, they're very safe. Yeah. And so well, that's the beauty is it, it's safe and it's, and it's, uh, you know, it's almost immediate, you know, the, you, you see, you can see, you can, you know, you'll know you need to add more pretty soon or exactly or if back. you're taking a certain dose for three, four, five days and you don't feel any change, it isn't, you could, should go up there. Right. There are studies that show like there's one study, I'm sure you guys are familiar for Parkinson's. It showed that the, the patients who hung in there for like eight to 12 weeks mm-hmm. on dosing, didn't give up early saying, Oh, I, this is ridiculous. I'm taking it right. and I don't feel anything or their family members saying we don't see anything. It was more at the eight, 12, 10, 12 week mark were at mm-hmm. high dose that they saw benefits. 
Mm-hmm. And so how come it takes so long? And so what I'll share with you is this is a plant. This <laughs> is not some harsh synthetic chemical. Mm-hmm. This is plant. It's like saying I went vegetarian yesterday. How come I'm yeah. not like all better today? I got my uh, cholesterol is not right? under 200. Yeah. Now. yeah. Right. <laughs> I went to the gym yesterday after right. not going for a year. How come I'm not in shape today? Well, yeah. anything natural, anything that's, that's kind of um, in tune with your body. I, I think you have to give it at least, you know, one to three months to, mm. to rule in or rule out. In my book, I go through this whole idea. I use this rule it in or rule it out method. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You can't rule anything out if you try it for one day. Mm-hmm. You can't rule anything out if you try it only in low dose. You can't rule anything out if you don't explore those higher doses and go over time. And, you know, I think, um, unfortunately we've all been trained to take a pill and you're better. Yeah. We've all been brainwashed to think that my goodness, you know, and that'll work. If you've got strep throat and you get a shot of penicillin, you're going to feel better in 24 hours. Sure. Mm -hmm, Great. mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, good. I'm glad it works that fast, but with plant, we have to be a little more, um, patient Mm -hmm. and a little more understanding that sometimes, um, the changes we're looking for, uh, we need to allow our body time to get there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Similar to other vitamins. Yeah. Go ahead. Vitamins or, um, other brain stuff. I mean, taking an antidepressant could take six weeks before you see a difference also. That's exactly right. And look, there are people who take an antidepressant within, and then, you know, two days later say, okay, I'm never taking that again. You know, because it it made them feel bad. It didn't right. fit right. right. And again, you know, it's very hard to predict um, how someone's going to respond. You know, I had this conversation last week with an um, a, a, a doctor who happens to um, lead the autism program at one of the larger universities in the United States. And mm-hmm. She's really open to cannabis for these pediatric patients for mm. autism because she can't deny what the patients are telling her. The yeah, parents are saying, look, you know, we tried X, Y, and Z, and this is what works. Right. Yeah. So, um, which I love that people are finally coming around to this, but well, one of the, desperate. right. <laughs> one of the things she said to me was, yeah, the, the lack of being able to predict how somebody responds to cannabis is no different than the lack of being able to help to predict how they're going to respond to an antipsychotic. All right. Right. I mean, and, and so and it's cannabis, not just won't cannabis. Kill you. right? Yeah, exactly. Cannabis exactly. won't kill you. Whereas an antipsychotic yeah. will, or I'll leave you with yeah. a, an irreversible side effect. Right. Uh, it says it right don't... there on the black box warning. Yep. That's exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking of antipsychotics, um, is it relatively safe to start using cannabis medicine while still on an antipsychotic or while on an opioid medication? Could you maybe talk about some of the common drug drug interactions that seniors should know about and um, maybe please uh, discuss timing and what symptoms to watch for when onboarding. Sure. sure. So in general, if I could have, you know, my ideal situation, somebody would, would be weaned off all other drugs when starting cannabis. It's just cleaner that way. It's easier and you don't have to worry about drug interactions. Um, but often that is not possible because many of these drugs like opioids, antipsychotics, seizure medications 
You cannot stop abruptly. They do take a long time to wean. The side effects can be very difficult. There's something called discontinuation syndrome, which is basically another a fancy term for withdrawal, bad withdrawal. Um, and I think it's definitely underreported by patients. I think it happens more than, than the literature reports. Um, so that's number one. Number two, if you start low and go slow, you can start with very tiny doses introduced with other compounds. And what you're looking for is, you know, do I feel better and, um, or do I feel worse? And sometimes it's hard to tease out. So if you are on a lot of medication, having a pharmacist or a physician, nurse practitioner, somebody familiar with cannabis is very helpful in the beginning to get you sorted out with drug, drug, drug interactions. Um, we know that CBD and THC to a less extent, remember THC usually doses are small. They're not big mega doses. Um, with higher doses of CBD, because of the way CBD is metabolized, it can interact with other medications. So uh, think about uh, your liver um, works to basically break down chemicals that we, you know, food, chemicals, alcohol in your body and help your body um, uh, excrete these compounds. So your liver's like your filter, right? right? But one of its main jobs, of course, is to break down drugs. And there's a system within the liver called the cytochrome P450 system that has all these different enzymes, 50, 60 enzymes, I think. And at a couple of those, CBD is broken down. And what happens is CBD kind of hogs that enzyme uh, in some cases, especially if you're taking high doses of CBD and that enzyme is responsible for breaking down, they say 60 to 70% of all other medications. Mm -hmm. So if CBD's being the hog and taking that enzyme up, that enzyme is now not available to break down the other drugs. And you can get a buildup of these other chemicals, other drugs in your body leading to toxic side effects. So if someone were to have the symptoms or signs of like what I would call a, a antipsychotic overdose. That is something to look for if you're on high CBD, mm -hmm. right? So if you start having more sedation, if you start having tremors, if you start having something called tardive dyskinesia, where you're kind of twisted up or, you know, you have these awful side effects, cannabis doesn't do that. Right. But indirectly it can influence these other drugs. So that's why it's important to have somebody on board. And again, starting low and going slow so that you're not just slapping on one big fat dose and kind of falling right into these in, a, in, a, in an abrupt manner into these terrible side effects. Mm -hmm. In general, it appears that mostly high doses are the culprit. However, here and there you hear case reports of like people on blood thinners like warfarin. Mm -hmm. There's now a couple of case reports. We know THC can interact and cause the, the blood thinner to kind of work better because it's mm -hmm. building up. Same mm -hmm. thing with there's a case report in the literature of CBD. Again, for most, it's it's higher numbers. But again, your body may be, um, you may have a drug interaction at lower doses. Seizure medications for sure can interact. Mm -hmm. So a drug called valproic acid, we know a drug called clobazam, which is a um, benzodiazepine that's mm. uh, used specifically mostly for people with uh, seizures. The other thing to also remember, though, it's not just necessarily a drug-drug interaction where CBD or THC or one of these other compounds is blocking um, the, drug, the other drug from leaving your body, causing a buildup 
and subsequent side effects. These compounds can also speed up. So these drugs can get out of your body quicker. Not so much of a concern in a way, like if an antipsychotic's not working already, what difference does it make? But of course, mm-hmm. if something is working for you right. and right. then it stops working for you, it may be that it's getting, it's getting cleared out of your body quicker. CBD is kind of pushing it to, to the liver and staying process it more quickly. Mm-hmm. One other thing to mention and I'll get to timing in a second though, is that there's, we know that alcohol and THC, what we call potentiate, potentiate each other's Mm -hmm. um, intoxicating effects. So what does that mean is that the combination can make you more loopy, obviously. I I can attest to that. Okay. There you go. (laughs) Additive effect for opioids. It's not in a way it's not bad though, because let's say a lower dose of an opioid combined with THC using them together mm-hmm. can give you an enhanced pain relief with less medicate, less right. opioid and meaning less risk of um, addiction and respiratory depression. So we know that some combinations can be uh, beneficial and other right. combinations can cause issues in terms of timing. You know, we always all of these drug interactions are what we would call theoretical, right? I don't know that it's going to happen in your body because again, I'm not in your liver watching what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, in general, sometimes splitting the timing of the dosing. Now in studies, they don't seem to do this. Hmm. Well, kind hmm. of in the real world, we know that like if you take melatonin and CBD together, there's an interaction where the CBD can block the way melatonin works. Hmm. So if you split them up, it seems to work a little bit better, meaning take your melatonin and then right. wait and take your CBD after at least 20, 30 minutes because again of the drug and potential drug interaction. Um, there's so much research um, potential here. So it would be great to line up a bunch of people who take different medications. And how do you test is you draw drug levels. Hmm. So you can draw drug levels on those and, And again, it will give you an overall, you need a large amount of people to really get a good sense. So it's Mm -hmm. not just one person's metabolism absorption and, and so on, but it, it would be helpful to do this. So when they looked at, of course, these kids taking cannabis for epilepsy and who were introducing CBD, there was a real, um, fear of drug interactions and nobody really knew. Yeah. And so what did parents do? They split it up. They gave the pharmaceuticals and then they gave the CBD one, two, three hours later because they just didn't know. And now the studies, luckily the scientific community responded by doing these drug level studies very quickly. If you ask me, and I know it was in drug development because there was pharmaceutical company behind it Mm. trying to, you know, push a drug through. But at the same time, we got a lot of important um, information from these studies. And this is why we have to be free uh, to study cannabis and everything Absolutely. about it, because if it doesn't do something that I expect it to do, I want to know that too, because mm-hmm. I don't want anybody wasting their time, money, and effort, their resources on something that may not help them. Well, yeah. there are so many people that think that, you know, it's, it's a magic pill for everything. And really what, what, you know, it, it, it's highly beneficial for so many things, but the research just isn't there to say, no, this is definitely working. Uh, other than anecdotally. And I mean, we reduction with opioids, that's all anecdotal too, but the reports are there. If you legalize, right. 
you allow the access to the cannabis, your opioid use goes down. All your polypharmacy goes down in the states that have it. So, you know, but we don't have, like you say, that scientific research to back that up saying that that's actually happening, which is there's a few, right. There's a few studies here and there that show that like, especially if you catch these people before they start cannabis. So what we call cannabis naive users. Right. So Stacy Gruber at McLean university, um, I don't know if you guys had her on, but she's not yet. Yeah. Yeah. She's (laughs) she's awesome. And she, so what she has done though, is she has been able to recruit people before they start their medical cannabis journey. Mm -hmm. And she, she tests them a bazillion tests. I mean, she calls (laughs) them the most tested, most studied people on earth. And Uh she's right. I mean, they have MRIs and blood work and everything. And then they start cannabis and then they retest them and then they retest them and then they retest them. These poor people probably feel like mice (laughs) and, and they, it's clear cut. What she's seeing is improved neurocognitive function, (laughs) decrease in pharmaceutical use, Mm -hmm. improvement in overall quality of life, including things like sleep, anxiety, pain, right. And really no risk. And this is so important Mm. because this is what I get from the kind of naysayers or in the medical community, no like psychosis from THC. No, um, they stopped working and became a stoner laying on the couch (laughs) eating potato chips. Really? And, Mm. you know, like all of this kind of nonsense that's been drilled into our heads over the years, it's just not happening. What these people are finding and what her studies are proving is that especially under medical supervision, when used as a medicine, it's a medicine period and a very safe and effective one at that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, all the fear about like, like I hear it all the time still, what about psychosis? What about psychosis? Okay. In 13 years, (laughs) I've only seen what you may call like someone delving into a psychotic range probably a handful of times and they were all people overdoing THC, not following my directions, not <laughs> even really what I would call a medically supervised regimen. They just disregarded what I said uh-huh. and kind of went on their own path. Well, yeah. if I was a neurologist and I gave you five different pharmaceuticals to use and you went home and swallowed them all, you would say, mm. well, that was misuse. Yes. Right. And that led to a hospitalization, but that doesn't mean the drugs are bad. That just means the person. Okay. So we have to give cannabis the same courtesy and say that people self-medicating or the studies that, or the case reports in the scientific literature of cannabis psychosis. Yes. That is not under a medical supervised program, medically supervised program. That is a person who went home and took all the bottles and swallowed them. Yeah. I mean, and I don't understand why it's so hard for people to get it, to get this. What about the psychosis? Uh, that's not who that's they're under my care. And if they follow my regimen, that's not going to happen. Well, and this is driving, this is driving this big move to cap THC uh, limits. And if you're going to do that, you're going to dr- drive the black market even higher. And you're going to affect these kids that are like these autistic kids that are using 300, 400 or more milligrams of THC a day to be normal. Uh, you're going to mess with them. And then, like you say, yeah. under medical supervision, those high doses medicine. are, is medicine. It's and medicine. It's period. just, you're, you're, and, and you're just going to create more problems. Right. And my 
pediatric cancer patients, we always go high dose. We're trained. Right. To, they're in my office. It's not because their doctor said they had a 95% chance of beating cancer. Right. That's not who comes in. Right. right. It's the child who continues to get metastatic disease or growth of a tumor, despite everything being thrown at them, including drugs that aren't even approved for their kind of cancer. These kids come right. on like the 10th chemo regimen yeah. and the things just spreading all over and they keep getting parts of their body cut out and chemo experimental chemo and so on. Well, why does anybody care if they take cannabis? We're trying to save their life at this point. Often it's yeah. too late and it's really um, such a tragedy to think yeah. that, you know, you come to cannabis at the end of life when it's so benign and so safe again, especially under medical supervision. Right. And if you cap these doses, there's going to be a real issue for medical for these. Oh yeah. The most, oh, yeah. let's just Absolutely. say the most ill medical patients. Yeah. And again, uh, you know, I was watching this uh, movie the other day where a mother said, just because someone else misuses or abuses the drug does not mean we don't make that drug available to a medical patient. That's right. uh, opioids. That's number one. Right. Number one, yeah. Number yeah. one. <laughs> opioids. Um, so do you, do you think that cannabinoid medicine should become a frontline medicine for seniors to help reduce polypharmacy? hundred percent. My goodness. And so again, there are, there are the doubters out there. This is what I'm going to say. Your cannabinoid receptors, the most widespread receptor in the brain, it's just about everywhere. Where mm. is it not? It's not in the part of your brain that can turn off your breathing. So yeah. if you take too much opioid, you stop breathing and die. Hence the opioid crisis that we're having. Okay. Yeah. But the cannabinoid receptors are not in that part of the brain. And again, stealing from my buddy, uh, Dr. Dustin Sulak, he said once it was so funny and it's still funny to me that scientists have been trying to kill primates with cannabis for many years and they have not <laughs> succeeded. And by giving mega high doses of THC and it just doesn't Huge. do that. It just yeah. doesn't because there is no mechanism by which, okay. Yeah. Um, that it can turn off your breathing and your heart. Okay. Um, but also um, these receptors are just about everywhere. Mm -hmm. And that is why you can get pain relief, anxiety relief, depression relief, better sleep, better appetite. Think about all of those things. That's kind of what your cannabinoid system controls. It mm -hmm. just absolutely helps with all of these kind of like baseline daily quality immune. of life issues. Your immune system. It's all over the white your, blood cells, and, right? It's and under your, their... And your gut. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And your gut All over your gut and the yep. gut think about, you know, and there are still people not being taught this, but the microbiome and the way your gut works to interact with the food that you eat is critical for brain health. Absolutely. Um, so your endocannabinoid system is just about everywhere. So you have to remember that is the reason why it helps so many different things. It's in the part of your brain that controls pain. It's in the part of your brain that controls mood. It's in the part of your brain that um, controls motor coordination and other things. It's, it's all over. And so when you ask me, is it first line? So look, I have a uh, 91 year old father who was anti-cannabis for 85 of his 91 years. He's wow. <laughs> now been a cannabis patient. And I have an 82 year old mother who was terrified of mm. cannabis. Mm. Um, 
who also had epilepsy when she was much, when I was an infant, she began having seizures. And at oh, the wow. time they're like, we don't know why, who knows why, mm-hmm. you know, it was the sixties. We have no tests to figure out why you have seizures. So here's some pills and take them for the rest of your life. Right. Yeah. And the problem with that is, you know, she had a lot of side effects. Um, with my father, who's actually knock on wood has been well his whole life, but I started reading about all these studies and I started working on them and saying, look, what we learned and what you learned way back when was a bunch of garbage and here's the science and look, I'm taking care of so many children and all I see now, look, there are people for whom cannabis doesn't work. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's absorption issues. Mm-hmm. Is it metabolism issues? Is it a brain chemistry issue? Again, we don't know. Mm-hmm. There are cor- correlations with certain variants. in the So in the research looking at genetics, mm-hmm. they're seeing some variations. If you have this little variation, you may be more likely to respond to not respond well to THC. Your body doesn't metabolize it well and you build it up and you have a bad response. There about there's 20 to 30% of um, Caucasian adults struggle with to process THC. So well, all of this, can, there is cannabis hypermesis syndrome. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's definitely and the, reactions. And the big question is, is, is that a genetically based? Why doesn't everybody get that? Not everybody right. who uses cannabis gets yeah. that. Mm-hmm. In it's fact, rare, it's, yeah. it's, well, I wouldn't call it very rare. I would mm-hmm. say that it's out there. I know emergency room doctors see it because it, now it's part of your differential diagnosis. I think we called it super rare when we just didn't know that it existed. That but, is there, right. Yeah. But at the same time, um, wouldn't it be nice to have an understanding of all of this again, more research. Mm-hmm. Um, but like for my own parents, they're, they don't have dementia. They have age related stuff, mm-hmm. but I was like, am I going to wait until they have dementia? No, <laughs> because even if the studies are out, I'd rather err in the side of this, um, these plant compounds, which I know are anti-inflammatory neuroprotective and antioxidant Aren't going to kill general, you. In general, very, very safe right? Yes. versus waiting until dementia starts. Because yeah. remember, I really think that, bef- and I think we know this, before symptoms start, the changes are already taking place. Yes. It's not like one day all the cells fall off a cliff and you have right. dementia. It Decades. is a slow yeah. right, process. Yeah. I think other parts too, though, like super healthy diets, so more vegetarian ketogenic, but not real heavy mm-hmm. on animal proteins. Yeah, There's a lot of veggie studies. Keto. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. A veggie, veggie based keto. Yeah, vegetable like a, based. yeah exactly. Um, and look, mm-hmm. we've gotten away from that, you know, in our society, a lot of people, mm-hmm. you know, if you're eating food that comes out of a package, highly processed food, you are likely putting chemicals in, in your body, messing up your microbiome, creating neuroinflammation. That's just, mm-hmm. and a lot of people get really frustrated. And what I, I tell people is it comes out of the ground or lives on, or lives on the ground or, or lives on earth. It's okay to eat. Right. Yeah. And as well as it's organic because we pretty yeah, much depleted well, the soil. You do, right. Yeah. We don't want chemicals. Try to do as best you can. Uh, it's very hard to be perfect. I mean, just oh, going yeah. out to dinner, although COVID kind of changed going out to dinner, but even just yeah. going out to dinner, you're wondering where did they source their spinach? Where did or they the, source the seed oils? Their... The seed oils right. are using, you know, yeah. terrible. Yeah. There's so many questions, out, but 
what I tell people is do the best you can. If you have control over 80 to 90% of the food that you put into your body, mm-hmm. you're doing a lot better than most. Yeah, and, absolutely. um, you know, if, and even you may not feel like eating that salad, but you know what, that's probably what's, you know, um, good for you. It's not something that you should be. Every meal doesn't have to be a feast. Try to look at it as we are what we eat. There's no question. And well, you know, we are, we are complex whole systems and just like the plant, you know, it's much better as the whole system and we need to do many things. There aren't, there's not just one thing to do. You know, there's many, many reasons people get Alzheimer's now. Um, and there's different types and, Mm -hmm. uh, it all start, if we're not taking care of ourselves now in our, you know, our mid, mid ages, mid middle ages, there's no way we're going to make it because once you get there, you're only treating symptoms and behavioral and, and what's, what's happening. I'm sure you're doing more, you're doing protection, but it's quite honestly too late. It's too late. Right. You don't want to, you don't want to start too late and not people shouldn't feel anxious about it. It's never too late. And it's, it's a journey. It's not perfection. As they say, you just try to do the best you can. And every now and then, if you need a piece of birthday cake, you know, you go for it, but (laughs) metabolic (laughs) flexibility, metabolic flexibility. That's my new catchphrase. You know, one thing I wanted to share before, um, I got an email from a patient, uh, a daughter of a, of a a patient with dementia, Mm -hmm. uh, Louis body disease, right? Mm -hmm. Louis body, which is a particular kind of dementia. Mm -hmm. Um, and one thing that I kind of wanted to point out is that she had asked, uh, the daughter had said, you know, will we ever see his personality again? Will we ever see him smile or laugh again? Cause he lost all that. And I'm very happy to say that just in a few short months of cannabis, the sense of humor has come back smiling joy, happiness. Yeah. Um, I don't think we're going to reverse a lot of what this, this gentleman has, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. but when the family says he's sitting at the dinner table and participating in his life with our family and smiling and laughing, there's, there's like no other I, I don't care if that's quote anecdotal or somebody says that's not proof that family's living it. That's life changing. And we can't yeah. take yeah. that away no. as yeah. scientists. We don't, we, I, yes, I want the answers to all these other questions, but in the meanwhile, that one person, their life has been improved for the better. And, and, and we need to recognize that as scientists that sometimes yeah. not knowing all the answers is, is still okay to, to yeah. try something. We don't have to know. We don't uh, look, my mother was put on a drug called Dilantin back in 1965. Mm. Okay. That was a good one. You look, you look up Dilantin to this day, yeah. I tell you, they don't understand the mechanism of action. Yeah. <laughs> still being used. Yeah. Right. Still yeah. Being 50, used. Plus, yeah. 50 plus years. Yeah. Don't understand yeah. the mechanism of action. So, yeah. so I, I don't think it's fair to hold cannabis to this incredibly high standard that we have to know so much more about it than we know about many of these drugs that are prescribed after one study gets passed through the FDA. Yeah, with, that don't work. With that 52, don't work. Well, with 52 people and 30% of them get some benefit. Right. You know, we see much better numbers with cannabis. And well, this is, a, this, this is a tradition with uh, the FDA on many, yeah. on many different yeah. levels and testing yeah. and research. You got to have money for the research. Uh, the big drug companies pay for it. So, you know, yeah. if, 
you know, the plant, you know, broccoli doesn't get a lobby. And, yeah. uh, you well, know, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that hemp will be the new kale. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, I really believe that had all this prohibition not happened, we would all have plants, cannabis plants, and maybe even other plants in our backyard. Or, and we and, wouldn't have plastic. Right. And we'd be juicing <laughs> and we'd be doing this. People ask me, should I juice cannabis? If you can get a hold of organic plant cannabis plant, my goodness, yeah. of course, juice it, eat it, put it in your Absolutely. salad. It's anti, you know, I have a patient who grows his own and he says he just chops it up and throws it in his salad. Yes. And he swears yes. that his inflammation is down. Well, of course. Of course That's it is. Anti-inflammatory. Yeah. Totally. You totally. Know? So, awesome. yeah. Bonnie Great. Goldstein, the wow. book is Cannabis is Medicine. Yes. Fan- Listen, I get, we gave it to our 90-year-old cousins and oh, yeah. she totally cannabis naive and she just ate that yeah. book up. So yeah. accessible you know, uh, you know, obviously you, you had, par- you had parents you had to convince. So you, yeah. uh, you, you've done very well in this book and in, in helping to educate people uh, that are cannabis naive and don't know what's going on. have no clue what the ECS is. It's so, you know, so understandable. Everything you said today is just yeah. like, it, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Sure. The way you put sure. it. So it's great. Yeah. And, and I'll just share with you, my 82 year old mother still works. Oh my goodness. Uh, my uh, 91 year old father still, you know, drives over to Walmart to pick up his groceries and not during COVID, of course, but now right. vaccinated yeah. and kind of doing his thing. But um, like they're living a very good life. I've, and, and I adore my parents. I mean, they, they're the ones who have been kind of gave me everything to be able to do what I do to help people. And I would never give them anything that would harm them. My goodness, you know, and certainly um, all I've seen with them is incredible benefits of they have no pain. They're, they don't really have anxiety. They sleep at night. Awesome. Um, How do you argue with that? Right. So, and on low doses, I'm assuming low doses, absolutely low doses. Um, uh, And no 50 milligram brownies. Yeah, no, no, no. And, and they are, um, not afraid anymore. And now they share their story with other people as well. So that, so, and, and I give them huge kudos to have been able to change their minds because, you know, 80 years believing something is dangerous for you and then being willing to try it. That's, you know, that's a leap of faith for sure. Yep. Yeah. And, and definitely they trust me, but yes. <laughs> at the same time, I think, you know, it's very hard to change people's minds. And I'm just so glad you guys are putting the word out there and we're going through a big revolution right now. Absolutely. Um, trying yeah. to really get this, this idea of that it's medicine out there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we're going to see you at CanMed at the end of the summer and uh, we very much look forward to it. Um, people can find you at Canna centers and on social media. Yeah. Yes. So Bonnie Goldstein, MD, I think on Instagram, Facebook is Canna Centers, Twitter, which I don't use very much, but try to post every now and then. I think it's just Bonnie Goldstein. And then CanMed 2021, you can Google that, C-A-N-N-M-E-D. We're actually doing a practicum to teach uh, clinicians, any clinicians interested. We're doing a full day course. Oh, fantastic. And then there's uh, two days of incredible speakers and lots of information. So definitely We love CanMed. Yeah. CanMed is the best. That's Started great. it all. Yep. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Goldstein. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. Thank you, guys. Thank you. <laughs> we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.
Thanks for joining us for Cannabis Helps Dementia. Be sure to download, rate, and review us on iTunes or your favorite podcasting network. And please share this podcast with anyone you know in relationship with dementia. Do you want to tell your story of how cannabis helps dementia? Leave us a voice message at anchor.fm slash cannabis helps dementia. Or you can drop us a note or connect with us on the socials. Check out the Society of Cannabis Clinicians website to find real medical professionals familiar with cannabis medicine in your area or online. Because you remember, we're not doctors, just family caregivers turned advocates. And don't forget, download, like, and share what you learned. Cannabis helps dementia. Why don't you get wise? Get up and get out. Get rid of that frown that's been dragging you down. And get up in the air. Just pretend that you can fly. You'll never know if you 